Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of deals, mergers, and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Last week, Blue Apron filed its S-1, announcing its intentions to trade publicly. Blue Apron plans on raising $100 million, which is just a placeholder figure that could easily change depending on interest from investors. The S-1 always gives people an idea of how a company is performing and how it should be valued. But Blue Apron is an interesting and somewhat odd story because it's hard to pin down exactly what the company's comparables are. Should Blue Apron be an internet company or an e-commerce company or a grocery chain? Each of these sectors trade with a different multiple, and that's what investors will have to decide. Joining us now to help answer the questions of how investors should think about Blue Apron and what exactly Blue Apron's business is, is Bloomberg IPO reporter and friend of the podcast, Alex Marinka. Hi, Alex. Hey there. How's it going? Good, good. Thank you for joining us. Um, so let's start really simply here. Uh, I, I would imagine most uh, podcast listeners know what Blue Apron is because it's a a uh, common sponsor and long-term sponsor of podcasts. But in case you don't, uh, what is Blue Apron? Blue Apron is basically uh, what we call a meal kit company. So they uh, source ingredients, they cut all the uh, cut everything down to size, so you have exactly what you need to cook a certain number of meals. Their typical box uh, sells for about sixty bucks. It comes with three meals in it, three different different recipes. Each one has two servings, so that breaks down to about ten dollars a plate. There, so they they send these out to their customers once weekly. They do have a larger family box, but uh, the kind of comparable meal kit is the one that people are used to. Blue Apron is interesting, though, because they've also tried to push into other things like wine or uh, selling uh, utensils and knives and things that their customers might logically need on top of the core offering. And what do we know uh, from the S1 about Blue Apron's finances. So we know from the S1, and, and I think this is really interesting because it is the first real look under the hood of one of these food delivery companies because it is such a crowded space. We do see that they are still uh, losing money uh, when it comes to uh, just the bottom line. Um, we also know that they um, ha- have really, really good growth. Their sales basically doubled to about $760 uh, million last year. But 
you know, this is a space where marketing is so key because food delivery is so crowded. And we're not talking just meal kit companies. Um, in meal kit space, you have Blue Apron, you have Sunbasket, which our sources tell us has also hired bankers for an IPO. They're backed by Unilever. But you also have the biggest of mammoths in the room like Amazon who are pushing into at least being the middleman between your food, <laughs> ordering it, and getting it to your kitchen. So when you do look at their marketing spending, uh, they spent about 17% of their total expenses last year went toward marketing. That's the tune of $144 million, uh, which is a big expense. Uh, the first quarter of this year was even more. It was closer to 20% of their total expenses because they say the first quarter is seasonally their strongest and so they need to be spending a lot more. Um, I wanted to kind of dig down deeper into those marketing expenses and in the S1 they do say that they're spending more money these days on offline media. Think direct mail. I mean, here in New York, I know I get their little pamphlets uh, saying, yes, sign up for us. We'll give you a free meal or what have you. Um, So they're spending an inordinate amount, more than half, on offline media because they say the online media marketing is more crowded. So, How does the business work exactly? In other words, so I get all these fresh groceries in the mail. Where are they coming from? Do they have warehouses all over the country? Uh, Sort of. They actually uh, get it directly from suppliers. Uh, Last year, they bought, or earlier this year, they bought a ranch. So they're getting some supply from BN Ranch is what what this uh, location is called. But they work with uh, local or regional suppliers to get all of the food. So if I uh, need salmon, uh, they'll source it from somebody who's sourcing salmon. If there are radishes in my box, then they'll source it from a farm who does radishes. And actually, in the S1, they they also say they uh, sign deals with a lot of their suppliers that uh, restrict them from from uh, serving other meal kit companies. So they're trying to go for the, some kind of exclusivity. They preach this idea of, of freshness. And, and you know, frankly, I've tried out all, almost all of the boxes that are out there. I like to be a uh, well-informed journalist, especially when these and companies just, just are And just remind listening. us, so you mentioned, like, what are the boxes that are out there so exactly? So Sunbasket is the one that's probably closest on Blue Apron's heels. Sunbasket is different because it does focus on uh, different uh, preferences. You can get a paleo box. Uh, you can get gluten-free or vegetarian. So they're a little more narrowed down. Blue Apron will have meatless options, but they don't have, uh, they don't kind of cater to those specific lifestyles yet. Plated is another one. Uh, you have HelloFresh coming from Europe. And if I go into my Amazon here in New York City in downtown Manhattan, they source from uh, some of the local grocery stores who are also putting together boxes. So depending on where you are, uh, there's a ton out there. And then obviously you have your local grocery store bodega, wherever you're typically sourcing your food from. That's kind of the really, really uh, intense competitive landscape. And I'm not even getting into the food delivery companies like uh, Uber Eats, Seamless, um, Sprig, which shut down. It has become such a kind of overheated and competitive space, both in terms of funding. Back in 2013, 2014, there was a ton of money rushing in. And uh, now we still see a bunch of the Asian companies throwing money in there. But it's also left a lot of casualties along the way. So when you're thinking about the questions that investors would have for Blue Apron as it continues down the IPO path, there are some real ones that are derived from past examples of, okay, what happened to Sprig, which ran out of money and shut down uh, in the past month, or Spoon Rocket. Uh, These companies that are delivery, they do logistics, they realize how expensive it is and how hard it is to do it right. 
So that's a lot of competition, and you mentioned that there are behemoths like Amazon in there, and Amazon is well known that they're getting into grocery. Why should I invest in Blue Apron? Is the end game here to be bought by some big company like Amazon? So right now, they are pitching their uh, value prop to investors. Their value proposition is we portion everything out for you. It's very, very fresh. Their pitch to shareholders, again, reading between the lines in this in this uh, big S1, is that they have a lot of growth to go and that they're improving margins and that there'll be some kind of growth right, I have there. some numbers there for gross margins. And 2014, it was like 7%. 2015, 23%. 2016, 33%. So, so that's a that's a telling story. It is a telling story. It is although they're up. down a little in Q1 2017. Exactly, and and that is I, I believe that's attributable to an increase in marketing expense. Marketing expense. Yeah. And, and you know we had reported last year in earlier in the year this company was starting to bake off for banks uh, to underwrite this potential deal. They put the the selection process on hold because they didn't think their financials could justify the valuation that our sources told us they wanted at the time, which was a three billion dollar market value. Uh, now, obviously, that process has moved along. Uh, apparently, they've worked on the financials, especially increasing those margins and their efficiency uh, it, to get to the point where they feel like they're ready to file and move forward. But when it comes to um, whether they want to be a standalone, I, I, I interviewed their CEO two, three years ago, um, back when I was covering tech, and he seemed pretty, uh, you know, uh, into the idea of being a standalone company. But, obviously, I mean, aren't they all? Exactly. Exactly, aren't right. they all? They you uh, you know better than I, uh, better than most that everyone has a price. But this company does seem like they want to be the first to go out there. Um, but you know the question is, at what price will investors be willing to humor this stock? All right, so let's talk about that. So, uh, you know, I preface this by saying, is it an internet company, an e-commerce company, or a grocery company? You tell me, Alex. How how are investors looking at this company? Uh, well, I can tell you how the underwriting banks are uh, looking at this company, and it's something an unbiased that, view there. It, well, yeah. exactly, right. but it's something that behind the scenes, it is an interesting um, kind of anecdote because I feel like this will play out again and again for these tech-ish companies, right? Blue Apron is founded by a bunch of venture guys. You know, they think that they are this very tech-enabled. They've got logistics down because of all of their back-end technology. Tech, 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 tech. Because with tech, tech, tech comes premium. And uh, the the bankers have had an interesting kind of back and forth. Uh, according to my sources, it, it's been a conversation internally. Do we assign our e-commerce analysts to this? Do we assign our grocery analysts to this? How do we think about this company? Well, it's hard because if you're going in to pitch the bank at a uh, grocery valuation, that is going to be an inordinate amount lower than a e-commerce or tech premium, even though when you think about what does this company do, well, they're the middleman between a food producer and the consumer. Right. There's some bells and whistles in there, obviously. They're a grocery delivery Exactly. Company. And their CEO's head might spin hearing me say this because they, they think they have a big uh, value proposition, but basically they deliver food. So uh, when when you when it hits the market, I mean, frankly, this is a company that's it is buzzy in the Silicon Valley space. Uh, it's been around for a long time. It's it's become kind of a, a synonymous with the New York tech scene as well. So you have a bit of that. But when you look at this three billion dollar valuation as of last year, which that could change, um, expectations could have changed between now and then, uh, according to our, our sources. But when you look at that valuation on a net revenue basis compared to last 
last year uh, to 2016. Um, and net revenue is their number that X's out basically re- refunds and returns. On a net revenue basis, it's close to 3.77 times, right? So almost four times. Um, that's not quite apples to apples. It is a last year. But when you look at last year valuations for e-commerce companies, the average is 3.98 times. Very close. Very in line there. And um, 3.98 times net revenue or 3.98 For them, it's sales. Re- sales. For them, okay. it's sales. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a close comparison. It's not perfect. And, and frankly, when investors look at these companies, they will get 2017 uh, numbers typically. So they'll be making a forward-looking estimate. But this is kind of the best we got. And it, it does give a, a, val- a valid picture because when I look over at grocery, it's 0.39 times 2016 yeah, sales, right? So the difference there is massive. It's 100 times you know, difference. So when you are are wrapping your head around where the perspective valuation is, it seems like e-commerce has won the day. So look, you wrote a story late last year saying that Blue Apron was going to delay its IPO to focus on its finances. Is there, first of all, why did they decide to do that? And second of all, is there any evidence? I mean, obviously they filed. So did something change between late December and now that made them comfortable? It seems like they have uh, they had a really strong first quarter. And, and my gut tells me, since they talk so much about seasonality in the S1, seasonality is is a, you know, a subtopic. You only really want to bring up the things that you have to or you really want people to see. And this seemed like something they want people to see. The first quarter is their strongest quarter. It seems like they potentially didn't think that the fourth quarter could carry them through or get to that valuation. And that first first quarter is something that they wanted to wait until they had uh, relevant financials. But also, you know, with a company that is losing money, that's margins are not where um, a typical internet type company is. They're closer to being in line with some of the um, e-commerce. I mean, you think Amazon, razor thin margins are their MO. Um, When you think about uh, those factors that can potentially be a negative, showing this really huge growth on the top line, showing this almost doubling in revenue in 2016 is really important um, because, you know, you can kind of put the marketing spend aside or I I think they might attempt to uh, and say, look, well, we're still increasingly growing. We're only saturating 0.7% of what we think our addressable market is. Uh, We have room to grow. Is at this stage, does the company see its its biggest, you know, in the S1, they always have like the challenges section. Is it Amazon undercutting them on price? Is it Whole Foods offering a comparable box service? Is it the other box services that are out there? Is there one major threat that the that the company itself sees as the... It seems to be all of the above. And and again, in such a crowded, crowded space, that's why this one is so interesting to me because Amazon, when Amazon pushed into grocery, they didn't have to justify themselves, right? They said, look, we've done this before in other verticals. We've done this before in shopping. We have figured out logistics and delivery better than most out there. Oh, and wait, we have the money to do it. Um, Having to justify taking a bet on a new, very niche company like Blue Apron to the public markets will be a very, very interesting and intriguing thing. And and I'm hoping to uh, to get some fodder when they do finally set terms and hit the road as to what kind of questions are they getting? What do they care about? Are investors so scared about Amazon, as, as so many are, that 
you know, they potentially take a pass on this deal. So give us the timeline here. When is the roadshow? When is the theoretical list? So we've heard they're looking to list this year. Um, I don't have more granularity on that, but the process typically will be, uh, they might file another amended, uh, they could they could file an amendments indefinitely, but once they set terms, that's the, the S1 uh, um, amendment that has the price and the share count. Once they do that, the roadshow will take off. I I would expect this one would be about a week and a half. It is a U.S.-based company. When when they talk about international expansion, they say it's on their minds, but they have no timeline. So there might not be any any, uh, stops in Europe. But once that hits, uh, this listing process will be moving full steam. Has there been any M&A chatter about this, or we feel like this is a definite IPO process? I haven't heard any M&A chatter, but you remember AppDynamics, uh, you remember Bluecoat. We didn't have any uh, solid M&A chatter, uh, whether that's our fault as deals reporters or everything was just kept hush-hush is up for debate. But, you know, uh, a company like this, it's been the, – the thing is, this company has been – we broke the, we broke news on this company early last year, the first time, saying that they're prepping for an IPO. Once that's kind of in the ethos. I mean, we know how these things work out. If a company is is basically showing the world it's looking for an exit a la IPO, folks will potentially take a look. With this first filing, you I would assume you might have some people see if this justification, if they want it, if a justification makes sense. Um, but I haven't heard any definite chatter. Is it too early to tell what the investor appetite is for this? I mean, it's a little worrying that a company would sort of start out with the IPO process and then delay it. But the numbers do appear somewhat promising, as you mm-hmm. say, in Q1, at least if you're ignoring net income. But so many of these companies are not profitable right out of the gate, you know, somewhat purposefully. Uh, but look, you've just identified a lot of challenges here. Are investors encouraged or worried about this? So there are a few things this company has going for it that, in in my experience, have been uh, positive, have been boons to the sh- to investor interest. It's a consumer name that people know, and when you think about where they sell, I mean, it's about uh, Blue Apron's customers. Fifteen percent are in California, seven percent are in my home state of Texas, five percent in Florida. Uh, 8% in New York. They have broad uh, kind of uh, relationships with customer bases here that aren't just in the pockets that are Silicon Valley and Silicon Alley. So you have that consumer recognition of the name. You also have the very big growth story. And again, when I look out to equities generally, there's not a lot of growth out there. And that's been something that's been really driving these offerings, at least at the onset. Uh, People want to have a piece of something that they think could be, uh, could give them some returns, frankly. And with the level of um, potential promise and proof of of revenue expansion and proof of mitigating costs to a certain extent, um, this could th- those are the couple of things that come to mind that I think folks would be excited about. And who are the underwriting banks on this? Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, and Barclays are leading this offering. So we think end of, end of this year uh, potential listing date, uh, and there's no other. Is Blue Apron the market leader in this general grocery delivery business? From what we know now, they are uh, the most richly valued. Um, I don't have uh, full financials on something like Sunbasket, um, which is which is making, I believe, more than $100 million in uh, annual, rev- annual revenue run rate. Uh, but this is kind of the, the first name. They were the first mover. Again, Grocery delivery. If you think meal kit delivery, fine. Grocery delivery, I think uh, potentially no. My head still goes to Amazon when it comes to potential for winning the day. By the way, so I have used Blue Apron and a number of the other services you mentioned before. 
Uh, I do use them for grocery delivery because I don't follow through on the meals that sometimes. And then I'm like, well, at least I have like a lemon, you know, like so. So there's this weird like intertwine. I don't know if a lot of people do this. Or and not, and but. I, I actually have run into that both personally. I, I cook a lot. I'm a proficient cook. But even uh, some of Blue Apron's meal kits tend to take me a lot longer than I have. I don't have 45 minutes to spend right. uh, cooking something. Some of the other meal delivery. I don't have five. I have exactly. a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Exactly. Yeah. I, when, I, when I spoke to Sunbasket CEO uh, a few months ago when, when Unilever took a stake in them, he told me that that's something that they are very focused on is cutting it down to less than half an hour or less. So yes, I have done the same thing. Uh, my family at home, my sister-in-law gets the family kit, which serves more. It serves four, I believe. Um, and again, she will, if if it's a, uh, you know, breakfast for dinner situation, then she might pull the eggs out, save the bacon, use it for later. So yeah. folks do use it like that. Why um, am I chopping vegetables, Blue Apron, if you're listening to this? <laughs> Give them to me pre-chopped. I don't need the experience it's of chopping efficiency. vegetables. It's efficiency. And when you think about scaling uh that is is something that you know um again, right they're pushing the cost on right, me there so right, they don't have to do right. it so sunbasket might mix guacamole for you or uh give you salsa whereas blue apron might have you do it yourself they're, they're pushing kind of more into that i've seen as i've kind of tested different boxes but it's been interesting to see how the products have developed alex barinka bloomberg ipo reporter on blue apron listing later this year and putting out their s1 Last week, Alex, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for this week's episode of Deal of the Week. Remember, you can catch all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, the Bloomberg Terminal, or Bloomberg.com. Also, please rate and review the show while you're on Apple Podcasts. It helps our listeners find all of our episodes. And follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Alex Barinka is at Alex Barinka. See you next week. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.